0: Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self paced, and mastery based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to
1: episode number 31 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Kareem Farah, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Modern Classrooms Project. I'm joined again today by Zach Diamond. Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, Zach. Good. And we actually have a similar... We're kind of running back our Q&A style podcast. So last time we did this, I believe it was just a couple of weeks ago, um, we did a Q&A style where folks from our community have been asking us questions through a variety of access points, and we're answering them here. And we actually didn't get to all the questions we had last time, and they're continuing to come in at a pretty fast rate. So we want to give a second opportunity for us to hit as many questions as possible. Before I get started, Zach, do you want to remind folks as to how they can actually ask these questions and get them answered on the podcast?
0: Yes, absolutely. So there are a couple ways you can submit questions. You can go to modernclassrooms.org slash askmcp. You can tweet at us with the hashtag Ask MCP. And if you're active in the Facebook group, questions get pulled out of the Facebook group as well. So if you put a question out there, uh, we might wind up answering it here on the podcast. There's a lot of really great dialogue and questions that are, that are going around in there. Perfect. So um, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So let's start with
1: the first question. Zach, do you want to go ahead and read this one off and then we can take it?
0: Sure. It says, I've been implementing MCP online since January. Kids are suddenly returning to the classroom, and I have less than 24 hours to put in a request for supplies. Having never taught with the model in person, what supplies might I need to be basically functional?
1: Such an interesting question. Well, first of all,
0: I'm sorry we're answering
1: it on the podcast, which means we've probably missed your 24-hour uh, timeline here. But I do think it's a good question. I'm not sure we've actually ever addressed it um, in the podcast, which is like what supplies are valuable. I'm going to start just by listing off what supplies I have. Zach, maybe you can do the same, and then I can share out, too, some of the cool things I've seen. And it's you know highly contingent on sort of the grade level, the content area, the way that you execute the model. I was always not particularly creative. Um, So I was a very functional supply person. The first thing to me that's like the most valuable tool in a modern classroom is stackable bins. I always had these stacked bins for each lesson. So the top part of the bin would always be the guided notes. The bottom part of the bin would be the assignment. That was like my favorite thing to use. So I had like giant lines of these stacked bins so if i taught multiple preps when i was the last time i was teaching i had prob stats Um, i had ib mathematics one and ib mathematics two so in different parts of the room there were rows of stacked bins and those would be like lesson one two three four and five for prob stats same thing for ib one and same thing for ib two that was probably my favorite very simple supply that i think is so powerful and i remember when we rolled this out in a small group of teachers initially everyone wanted those stacked bins the second thing is I really wanted a model for kids to be able to pick up their mastery checks on their own. Not every teacher does this. Um, some teachers prefer to give the mastery checks out when the kid's ready. But in that case, I really, really liked using folders that were stapled on the wall so kids could just go and pick that up off the wall. And that was literally just folders stapled. And it's, you can see them in the Edutopia video. They're just kind of hanging there and people pull them out. And Kate Gaskell, the other teacher in the Edutopia video, was actually her idea and it worked quite well. I loved whiteboards. I actually use these like sticky whiteboards that you can pull and just like cut. They're kind of like poster boards and stick them to the tables and stick them to the walls. I was a math teacher, so I love when kids were collaborating on whiteboards. But I know the other educators really like that as well. And Post-it makes these new really cool sticky whiteboards that like are literally like posters. You just get to stick up. And then your turn-in bins. I mean, this is critical, right? Having a model for kids to actually turn in their work and making sure you have a multitude of bins because you want to separate potentially by period, but certainly whether they're turning in the mastery check or the assignment. So those are the main supplies I always had for my modern classroom. Zach, do you have any ideas yourself?
0: Yeah, this is really interesting because my answer is is totally different. Obviously, my case is a little bit you know, it's different from yours because I teach music, and so I have some pianos and <laughs> instruments and things like that that wouldn't really belong in a math classroom, and that's obviously very unique to my particular class. But yeah, the the folders are basically paper management. Uh, I think the key is figuring out how you're going to use paper in your class. And I think you made a great point also, like I can imagine in an elementary school setting, there's much more, you know, like math manipulatives, things like that, that you would need to teach that you would have anyway. Right. In a traditional classroom, regardless of modern classrooms or not. In my in my class, the mastery checks actually are online, even in physical classrooms Um, because they submit screenshots to me and so that's the master check so there's no paper involved and so I don't need the bins to have them submit things but I do give them paper guided notes packets and so I have like some hanging folders so that the kids just know where their papers are at and they can come and find their packets immediately um, upon coming into class and this is now bringing me back to like a whole year ago when I was actually in my physical classroom it's kind of funny to remember that Um, but yeah I mean Paper and pens, things like that. The idea of the little mini whiteboards that you carry around that students can have—you can hand them out. They stay in your classroom. I would carry one around sometimes because um, you know you're walking around the classroom, checking in with groups, checking in with individuals, and it's really useful because you're not at the front of the room where your whiteboard is to be able to carry around a little one and draw and and you know write out problems and do things like that with the kids, um, and then you just erase it and move on to the next one. Yeah, just sort of basic stuff. I mean, really, my take on this question is that you don't necessarily need anything for a modern classroom to be basically functional. It's just going to depend on how you're going to run your class. And thinking of thinking through that, think about what you need in terms of storage, how kids are going to access the things, and, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would add, so there's like two categories of supplies that you just want to make sure you're prepared for. As Zach said, how are kids going to pick up their work and turn in their work? It's not that complicated, but you really want to make sure you have the right bin set up. And think it through. And stacked bins are my favorite. Um, Every teacher is usually pretty good at this, but that's like priority number one. Priority number two is like, what is your pacing tracker set up? Now, most teachers use some form of a digital pacing tracker or provide personal pacing trackers. But I have seen extraordinary pacing trackers that are physical. So the first kindergarten classroom I went to, every kid had like a little face that was like with a Velcro. And they would move their face or they would have like football helmets. Um, another one I've seen in the past is like a magnet model where they turn their whiteboard into a magnet. And every kid's name was on a magnet and they were able to move it from one box to the next. Um, I've seen other just like really cool versions of physical trackers, a paperclip one where there's hanging ribbons and then clips with kids names and they move them up so if you want to build a cool physical pacing tracker you want to think through like what that literally looks like and what supplies you need there but if you have a very simple and easy way for kids to access the actual physical materials picking up mastery checks picking up assignments picking up guided notes turning them in and your pacing tracker is logical and set up correctly you're good to go Um, you have all the things you need to run a modern classroom everything else is the same stuff you would get um, if you were kind of creating. A traditional classroom. One thing to keep in mind is a modern classroom really allows for flexible use of space. So you can be super creative with like having a zone with couches and kids sitting on the floor and different types of tables you're using. Like I've definitely walked to a number of modern classrooms that are just super creative with space because you no longer need kids to be facing the front of the room where someone's lecturing.
0: Yeah, these these are all great points. And I, I've also seen pictures and I've worked with mentees who just have really cool, creative ideas. Uh, I, I still just want to say, like, none of that is required in a modern classroom. Like, my classroom, besides the instruments, really just runs on paper. I, the, the 24-hour window to put in a request for supplies seems super stressful, and I'm sure that it's passed now. Um, so it's nothing to freak out about. Like, you can run a perfectly functional modern classroom where kids are learning and engaged, right, with just paper. Um, in fact, without paper, because I'm doing that digitally now in distance learning. So um, if you're coming up with crazy, cool ideas and creative ways of putting up your pacing tracker and having things run, um, you'll you'll know what you need, and every modern classroom can and should look different as well. So you know, there's uh, lots of possibilities and no need to freak out because uh, you can run it with just the basics. Definitely.
1: Definitely. Um,
0: next question.
1: I'm going to ask this one to you, Zach, and then I'm happy to share my thoughts as well. What do you prepare or give to subs in your modern classroom?
0: This is such a good question. And the answer is, for me, it's super simple, which is almost nothing. Like, the kid, the, the kids in my class are so self-guided. I just have to have the sub, pro- you know, project the pacing tracker. Um, and the kids should know what to do. You know, it's really, really, really easy to to prepare subs to teach a modern class, a modern classrooms class. Um, in distance learning, I haven't had any subs. I have never taken a day off actually since we left school. So I'm not quite sure what I would do in that case. I guess I would have them show the, show the pacing tracker to the class, but the class can access the pacing tracker anyway. And so because of how self-guided the kids are, and particularly at this point of the year, um, they know what they need to do and they know where everything is. And, and so preparing subs is really easy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say two things. One In a traditional setting, I think you're like trying to figure out how to prepare a sub to teach the lesson, which is brutal because it's very difficult to kind of pull off and, you know, your authentic self is not there. And then you kind of get anxious about like, is that actually going to replace the learning experience I would have delivered? And if not, am I just going to reteach the lesson? Like, what do I do? In a modern classroom, you don't need to worry about that because the instructional videos are obviously created. So instead, what you actually are trying to figure out is how to articulate to the sub how the actual classroom works. Yeah. So the thing that the subs won't know is like how a modern classroom runs. So you want to just provide like a very clear guide on how a modern classroom works. Now, a lot of teachers have a video of this already because the students watched a video on how a modern classroom works or how their modern classroom works at the beginning of class. If you don't have that, like just write a quick write-up that explains, like in my classroom, first, it's blended, which means kids are going to access videos um, through their learning management system and explain how the learning management system works. The second thing is explaining the self-paced structure and that they're on a variety of lessons. If you can articulate to each, like I actually provided the sub with a breakdown of where every kid was at in each class. So they could just like check in and work with a student and say, you know, are you working on lesson three? That's where you're supposed to be at. And then obviously the mastery based grading piece. When I had subs, I eliminated mastery checks for those days. I didn't eliminate them from the class. I actually just told the kids and the sub, like you can tell the kids they're not taking mastery checks today. I would keep track of which ones needed to be given out the next time I came in. But I just, for academic integrity reasons, like didn't love the idea of kids taking mastery checks when I wasn't there. So I removed that as well. The last thing I'd say is just like, the more important thing is to make sure that kids know that you expect them to still learn in the same way that they would if you weren't there. I always told kids, like, and I would call them out on this and say, you know, a lot, I know a lot of times kids think that when I'm not here, like it's a time to take the class period off. And that's sometimes just like a reputation that kids have developed around when your teacher's out, you don't really have to do anything. And I would tell them like, I'm holding true to the pace. Like I expect you all to work. And I've heard from multiple modern classroom educators that running the classroom with a sub was exponentially harder in a traditional setting and so much easier when they have subs now. And it's just like... The, the kids just treat it as a normal day oftentimes. So um, that's another thing I would say is like you're actually preparing kids for the sub more than you're preparing the sub for the experience. You just want to make sure the sub knows what to do and how to do it. And if possible, you know, provide clarity on the assignments. If you have answer keys, make sure they have the answer keys. Give some indications of how to support kids on the different types of assignments they're likely working on. You know, usually the kids are on anywhere between like two or three different types of lessons, maybe four or five. And if you can, depending on how long you're out for, like have the sub watch the videos and like look at the assignments themselves. So if you're you know if you have to take if you're going on leave for like a week or multiple weeks, have the actual sub like pretend to be a modern classroom student and be able to understand exactly what's going on in the classroom. That'll really equip them and make them feel prepared and make them feel successful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, that's a great point, and uh, you know I I feel like. There was a clear and unmistakable shift in the tone of the feedback I was getting from the subs when I started using modern classrooms in in my class. Like they are so much happier with uh, the kids in a modern classroom, and you don't even have to really prepare them for anything in the sense that you just tell them, you know, the kids will watch the videos, and you just want to make sure that they're, you know, engaging with the videos, and like that's so much easier for a sub to internalize than like teach them this complicated music concept or it's just it's just a really simple thing to do for them and and yeah that's a great idea to have them watch the videos as well like you can say most kids will be on lessons three four and five so here are the videos you can you know they're five minutes long each give them a give them a watch and see if you can help the kids Um, but if not the kids should engage on their own anyway and you're right it's more about preparing the kids than the sub
1: totally i mean i could go on a tangent for hours about how kind of dysfunctional and and frankly it's evidence of why the traditional model has real problems this sort of sub to teacher relationship is because it's just not realistic that a sub who doesn't know your students is going to show up on any given day and just be able to deliver a lesson the way that you would want it to be delivered it kind of shows you how much of it is just not in your control when you deliver instruction live there's so many variables that change the quality of delivery
0: yeah and i think I think it also says a lot about how much less teacher-centered a modern classroom is, right? Because the kids basically continue in their same roles. Like, they don't have to sit compliantly or silently for the sub, which is, I think, something that rarely ever happens, um, because they can still learn the, in the exact same routine whether or not the teacher is there, The you know, the actual class teacher. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: Cool. Um, what's the next one?
0: It says, I'm a principal at a small public high school in Massachusetts, All of my teachers are using the Modern Classrooms model, and we've recently moved to full in-person learning. I'd love to get a copy of any look-fors that might already be out there to help me as I observe teachers.
1: This is a super interesting question, and I actually think I know who this principal is um, because I think we're (laughs) going to be working with this school, and I, I love it when I hear that a bunch of educators are using our model at the school. We tend to avoid like direct quote unquote observation or evaluation rubrics um, at the moment just because, you know, that isn't actually necessarily our forte. However, um, we do provide uh, guidance on what to look for, especially because we are engaging in a lot of site visits. We have a lot of partnerships with schools and districts where we'll be going out to the schools and districts, watching the classrooms, observing them and providing feedback to the teachers. Uh, So... You know, what I always say on the look for's front is you're looking for what the students are doing. It's like a classic kind of example of what we've talked about in the past, which is like this is a student centered model. So the first thing you should be tracking and looking for is what the actual student is doing during the classroom. If you make the mistake of focusing exclusively on the teacher, you're actually losing the like key exciting elements of the model. You're paying attention to the wrong sort of agent of change or the the wrong focal point of a classroom, which is the kids and what they're doing to learn. So I can always describe what I do when I walk into a modern classroom. I usually go straight up to a student and I just start talking to them. The first question I ask every student in a modern classroom is how do you access information in this class? What you're looking for is the student to actually be able to articulate in their own words like how they have unrestricted access to learning. So they should be able to say, you know, I go to my Google Classroom and I click on this link and I'm able to watch an instructional video. And then over there are the bins where I can pick up my assignments and mastery checks or I can access them, you know, on this particular page of the Google Classroom. So that kind of gives me the indication immediately, this kid understands how to access materials. The second thing I ask them is, how do you know where you're at? Like, are you ahead, behind, or on pace? Where are you supposed to be? And how do you actually know that information? And that's an indication right there for me that there are self-pacing structures that are really clearly laid out. And the student knows how that information is. Because if a kid can't articulate where they fit in the unit, what they should be working on, and what they're trying to tackle, then there's a clear kind of disconnect between the students and the intention of the model. And then my favorite question to ask is, how do you actually know that you've understood a lesson. And I like to keep it fairly general because what I want to see is that the student can articulate back to me some indication and or explanation of this idea of mastery. Like, what are you doing to get to mastery and how do you show mastery? Um, And that's when you're looking for a kid to be able to say, you know, I work on a lesson, I collaborate with my peers, and then once I'm ready, I take a mastery check, If I get the mastery check right, then I move on to the next lesson and all that good stuff. I also ask follow-up questions around, you know, what happens if you don't get the mastery check right? Really trying to pull out whether or not there's clear reassessment or revision policies. Um, So those are the core ideas that I look for, essentially just asking kids to articulate in their own words how they're experiencing the model. What I always say is really challenge, even if you're observing like a colleague, If you're a teacher going to a modern classroom and just witnessing what they're doing, if you're an instructional coach, make sure you challenge like traditional perceptions of how you watch a classroom and really think more about what the actual students are doing as the primary indicator of whether or not learning is actually happening. And I would say that should be the case across the board. And then the last thing I'd say is I'm always looking personally at what the educator is doing, particularly from a data-driven perspective, like to what degree are the educators having conversations with kids, pulling small groups and in individual discussions, and they're having those discussions based off of data. And when I say data, I don't mean like they're looking at a spreadsheet with a bunch of percentages. I mean like, you know, a teacher's having a conversation with a kid because they're revising an assignment. Like that's data, that's information. They're having a uh, small group instruction because four kids are going to be reassessing the same mastery check. And the last thing I'd say, although I said the last thing was the last thing, is to what degree they're able to just, like, build strong relationships with kids and support the social-emotional health of students. You know, I always found that going into Modern Class Project classrooms was so, so cool because it's this constant oscillation between content-focused discussion and then, like, just building relationship-style discussions. And if you're seeing that come to life, it's usually a really positive indicator about the culture of the classroom. So. I always say that those are the things I look for and I look for them through the lens exclusively of coaching, right? I'm, it's, you know, we don't have an evaluation model Modern Classrooms Project. We have a model to be able to observe what teachers are doing, what kids are doing, and then provide feedback on ways to improve. And you're really trying to focus on making sure that there's something actionable around what you're looking for. Like, is there some piece of advice you can provide or shift? And that's the primary kind of stuff that I look for in the classroom. And I think it works pretty well
0: yeah that's I mean totally you you said what I was gonna say if i I'm not a principal, I'm just a teacher. but when people observe my classroom, what I hope is that they'll speak with the students, right? Uh, I feel like on my end my my role is much tougher to pin down in a modern classroom in the sense that like at any moment, I could be doing a number of different things. and in a different modern classroom, that teacher might be doing any number of other things. It's very like there's a lot more freedom in the teacher's role. Um, And so there's fewer sort of like universal tells as to whether the teacher is doing it right. But the students can can give you the answer, right? If you ask a student and they can articulate what is going on in the class, what they're learning, how the class functions, right? Um, I think another thing that I might add, although... I am a teacher, right? I'm not a principal. So am I. (laughs) Another thing that I might add is that if you look at the progress tracker, right, the pacing tracker, and there's like some really obvious trend in either direction, right? If students are all way behind or all maybe way ahead, there might be something to talk to the teacher about. I had that happen to me, and I actually asked my coach to observe me, which might be something that makes me sound crazy. But I've spoken before about how I struggled with the younger students that I taught the first year I did modern classrooms. And so I was like, all of my sixth graders are behind. Like I can't get my kids to stay on pace. Can we, can we problem solve and try and figure out what to do? And, and so that was, um, I guess that was a look for in the sense of like the data were saying something and my teaching wasn't addressing the, the issue that the data were revealing. Um, So you can look at the pacing tracker and see what's going on there too.
1: Totally. And I mean, as a general practice, and I think the fact that someone's even asking for this is really a positive indicator that they care about really finding the right way to support teachers. And yeah, that's critical. When you don't understand something that goes on in the classroom, just ask the teacher and and don't necessarily do it on the spot. Obviously, I, I think a lot of teachers get frustrated when like, their groove is interrupted by a visitor. And you know, that's not ideal. But just don't assume that a structure or a system within a modern classroom is not effective because you've never seen it before. You know, that can be a really big red flag and a huge frustration from the teacher end. You're going to want to make sure that you are really paying attention closely to what folks are trying to do and if you don't understand an element of what's happening in the classroom ask the teacher and the teacher is likely going to be able to provide a really coherent explanation i've seen this happen to me myself a couple of times before the model had any traction it was just going out of my classroom my co-founders you know folks would walk in and say like you know what are kids doing like how do they know what they're doing what's going on like what are you doing what's your purpose in the classroom like you know kind of punchy just like not asset-based questions around what was going on in my classroom because it was different. And that's a huge mistake because it just disincentivizes innovation. And it is really, really presuming a lot of negative elements of what the classroom looks like um, just because they're rooted in traditional approaches. So I have very rarely walked into a modern classroom and not been able to ask a teacher about a system I didn't understand. They weren't able to explain it and ultimately the feedback should be driven based on especially the areas of growth should be driven on, based on what the students are actually doing and focus on engagement because that's the key indicator
0: yeah you know and this pr- this principle in the question says that all the teachers at their school are using the model so i assume that this principle is kind of bought into the idea that you know the look for is not silent compliance right like this this principle is okay with there being some innovation and some what we've sort of affectionately been calling con- controlled chaos in a classroom right and so yeah i think asking the teacher before making any presumptions about what is wrong um or asking the students as well and and you might find evidence of something really cool happening
1: absolutely absolutely cool um next question what are some common and creative student roles in a mcp or modern classroom
0: yeah this is a great question um something that i talk about with with just about all my mentees is taking advantage of the fact that you have students who are ahead and you can see from your pacing tracker that they're ahead to have, you know, like star students or teacher helpers, things like that. Uh, Because that data is just so obvious, right? It's like, if you have a student who's way ahead, two or three lessons ahead, clearly they can afford to spend the day not working on the third lesson to get ahead, right? They can help other students and they often want to like, I've often had students, I've said like publicly in class, I'll say, well, you know, this student is two lessons ahead. So I'm going to send you all to, to her if you need help with lesson four or whatever. Um, I would ask the student first. I wouldn't just like put them on the spot right there. I would ask them first. But um, as a student role, that was always something that I kind of wanted to to implement in my classroom and I never could. I feel like it's important to to talk about like the, the freedom that teachers have the way that we don't have to lecture and we don't we don't have to you know control behavior quite so much as we do in a traditional classroom, the students also have a little bit more freedom, right? So that student who is way ahead, who learns at a much faster pace, and who can explain it to other students, is also free to move around the classroom and to not spend their time necessarily engaging with the work that they're on. Like they can take a break if they need to, or they can take on another role. Um, That I would say is a very common role because it's super obvious, right? That a student who's ahead can be a helper, but I'm sure that any creative educator could come up with a a ton of great roles for students and they could take them on if they were willing to, and they wanted to because they have the freedom to do that. Yeah. I
1: mean, I would say by far the most popular role um, teachers provide is, the lesson superstar category. Um, And I think it's great to make it specific to a lesson, right? Lesson number three, superstar or superstars. And then, you know, list out those names. And they just know that they're kind of the point people for those particular lessons and that kids can go to them and they can be leaders in that way. And they get really excited about it. Um, So, you know, that's very common.
0: Yeah, I I was mentioning to you before we started recording, actually. Like, I do that with students who aren't even ahead sometimes. Like, if a student does a stellar job on lesson three you know, we might get way ahead in the unit and everybody's on pace. That student's not ahead. They're just on pace. And then somebody's still struggling with lesson three. I'll send them to that student
1: again. Totally. I mean, in fact, I would encourage that, right? Because otherwise you get this like same pattern where students who move through content fairly quickly are always the lesson superstars. So really trying to mix it up is a really fantastic idea. Yeah. The second, you know, kind of role I see quite commonly is something around technology, just because there's a tech management side to things. So making sure that the room is organized and the technology is all in the right place and all that good stuff is another common role. It kind of depends on how technology is rolled out at your school. If every kid has their own device and there's not much technology that you're actually monitoring because it's in the control of each kid. It's a different story, but I would say a lot of times, certainly in my classroom, I had a cart of computers and I had a different student in each period who was responsible for just monitoring and taking care of all that good stuff. Depending on how you do collaboration, you can certainly have like a collaboration leader for each table, especially if you're grouping kids in any way. I know um, in Kate Gaskell's class, that's the uh, history classroom in the video, she did discussion bags where essentially at the beginning of class very often, and there's a, there's a cool teacher tips video on our website and our teacher resources page about these discussion bags And essentially she would you know pass out these bags with discussion prompts, and then each table would discuss them before they kind of got released into self-pacing. And, you know, it's a powerful way, too, to potentially have a leader at each table who drives the discussion, who sort of runs the protocols and all that good stuff. And then the last thing I'd say is, if you need help with anything, make a role for it. Like, I I always... One of the things I love about a modern classroom is it's so deeply flexible that if there's something you need support with as a teacher and kids, you know, would benefit from taking on that responsibility, make a role for it and it'll work and they'll like it. Um, And it's a powerful way to empower kids. So, I would always... Keep in mind that you have the full flexibility to create your own roles and be creative if you see uh, an upside for that.
0: Yeah. I want to shout out one thing that you said that I think is a really important point, which is that you shouldn't, well, you shouldn't only give roles to students who are ahead. I think it's important to be equitable and sort of balance that because other kids might feel like they're not getting roles if they're always behind or they don't, they won't see other students getting roles if they're behind. And there are roles for all students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Cool. Um, Well, I know we're going to take a break for a moment and we'll be back at it in just a few minutes.
0: Hi, this is Kate here, head of teaching and learning at Modern Classrooms. I love when we get to raise our teachers' voices. And this week we get to hear from Martha Hogue, middle school English teacher in Quincy, Illinois.
1: After being in the classroom for 24 years, I thought I had my game mastered. I was utilizing blended learning with novels and technology. However, one piece of my puzzle was missing. That piece was given in the form of Modern Classroom. Over the past summer, I took the free course on the website. Then through a foundation that funds educational initiatives in our area, I was able to participate in the mentorship program. By utilizing the skills that Modern Classroom has equipped me with, I'm able to provide one-on-one instruction or small group instruction to my eighth grade students. I have never felt so connected with my students as I do this school year, even in the midst of a pandemic. Modern Classroom is a perfect fit for my classroom, my students, and me.
0: You can learn more about the Modern Classroom Virtual Mentorship Program at modernclassrooms.org mentorship. All right, welcome back. Let's keep going with these questions. So this next question says, I am no longer a classroom teacher, but I am an instructional coach. What are some ways that I can leverage the MCP model if I do not teach students?
1: Hmm. I love this question. So before I even provide an explanation, if you just go on our website in the teacher resources section, and you check out the exemplar units, you're going to see a portion of them called Teacher Facing PD. And that's actually exemplar units built by instructional coaches and instructional leaders. I mean, our passion at the organization started, obviously, at the classroom level around supporting students more effectively, and it remains that way. But if you kind of just look at our free course, and if you've ever been in our mentorship program, you've paid attention to the structure of that, we deeply believe that the manner in which Students should be learning is very similar to the manner in which adults should be learning. So if you're an instructional coach, there's kind of two perspectives you can take. You can say, hey, I want to learn how to build a student-facing unit this way so that I can support other teachers in doing the same thing. That can be through our virtual mentorship program or through the free course. Or you can say, hey, I really think professional development in my school needs to look a whole lot different. and we need to not be bringing adults into a room and delivering live lectures at adults and wasting their time. But instead, we should be building instructional videos. We should create mastery checks. We actually know what the adults are mastering about the professional development and need more support on it. You could do the same for parents. We need to make sure parents are informed about their student's journey through your school. Um, counselors have gone through a program and wanted to create structures for the counseling department and the college and career readiness department. So just generally speaking, I mean, in addition to wanting to be able to learn how to do the models to support other educators, there's so many ways you can leverage it to actually support the adults in stakeholders in your community. And I think that's one of the most powerful ways to leverage the model. And just like an interesting fact, at the Modern Classroom Project internally for our team, we do this all the time like we never ever rely on sort of live delivery of information as the only way our staff can access stuff. So if I'm doing something and I think the staff needs access to it, I'm going to build a screencast like almost immediately. We have a wiki page at our organization where essentially anyone can go to this web page and see all the different tools and resources that we can use and leverage as an organization. And we have videos that walk people through how to do it. I mean, Rob, my co-founder alone, is brilliant with spreadsheets. And if I'm you know, creating a spreadsheet to model something, I don't know how to do a specific formula or function. He just builds a screencast for it. So there's just so much upside in leveraging this model for adult learning and to create professional development that is also mastery-based and self-paced. And in addition to that, it's just always a benefit if you are learning how to teach in the same way that you expect your teachers to teach. Um, so there's really... Endless upside, and when we partner with schools and districts, we strongly encourage that at least one or two instructional leaders join the program alongside the educators.
0: Totally, yeah. There are no words to describe just how brilliant Rob is with spreadsheets. Actually, he keeps <laughs> sending me amazing new like resources as a mentor. Um, he is a true spreadsheet genius. I, I, for you know, I'm not a coach. I'm a, I'm still a teacher, obviously, um, and so. In terms of the question, I you know working with my coach, um, obviously the coach has to know about the model and there's a question later in the in our outline about this. but I think that there if you're working with a teacher, um, not in terms of a, like a PD setting, but just working with a teacher, coaching a teacher, there are aspects of the model that, that you could help them implement even if they're not necessarily implementing the model entirely. I think that particularly using instructional videos, you know, a lot of teachers are apprehensive about self-pacing, but that doesn't mean that they can't use instructional videos. And teaching teachers to use videos is actually something that I've done since I've been doing it more and now, you know, full-time, I'm making instructional videos, essentially. Um, And a lot of teachers come to me to ask about how and what to put in their videos and how long to make their videos and what have you. Um, And so that, I think, is is a component of the model that, could be beneficial to teachers if they're open to it
1: totally i cannot agree more.
0: yeah certainly not forcing anybody to go out and make videos if they're not into it teachers like to have our autonomy respected as well but but it really really is beneficial and i feel like even someone who's a little bit scared to make a video will find that there's value in it absolutely
1: let's jump to the next question this is a great one and there's a ton of strategies on this the question is Sometimes I struggle to get students on task at the beginning of class. Any thoughts on how to get them going right when the bell rings or a few minutes in?
0: Yeah, fantastic question. Um, because this is something that I also struggled with. That's why I say it's a fantastic question. And um, particularly with those younger students, um, if you don't do anything, they they don't often just don't they don't do anything, right? They just come in and sit around and do whatever. I started basically doing sort of like a whole group announcement session. I feel like there's a very different tone to just me asking for everyone's attention and telling them what lesson is on pace today. It takes two minutes. It's not a lecture. I very actively try not to be like mean during that time in the way that I would be constantly telling kids to be quiet during a lecture. That was what I would do, and it sort of just set the tone of the class. Like, they come in, I take attendance, people are kind of milling around, and then I ask everyone, can I please have your attention just for a couple seconds? Lesson 7 is on pace today, so Lesson 7 is when we're going to do our critique, and I just want to make sure everyone knows it's here on Google Classroom, and you can find it, and you can find the stuff here. And then we get started. Um, That worked for me uh, with the 6th graders. With my older students, I didn't need any routines like that. They actually sort of just did get started. I was actually pleasantly surprised. But for those that do struggle, if it's not the entire class struggling, I would just go over and sit with those kids first. I know that a lot of teachers have do nows and I know Kate, I'll put it in the show notes, has a really fantastic sort of social emotional weather check do now that just asks the kids, like, how are you feeling today? There isn't really any content, like class content in the do now. And that just gets kids sort of sitting at their computers ready to start the class. But yeah, in in my personal case, it really, it comes down to just announcing what lesson is on pace and setting the tone that, okay, we're in class now. There is a lesson that we have to focus on and that gets kids going.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would just generally say that just because you're not lecturing doesn't mean you can't bring the kids together at the beginning of class.
0: Absolutely. I mean,
1: I did it every single class as well. Yeah. Right. When the bell rang at, you know, before kids got, I mean, they can get set up, they can pick up everything they need and so on and so forth. But we brought everyone together at the beginning of class and had a discussion real quick. And usually, it was actually more of a social-emotional check-in and just like a progress check-in. Like, how are we doing as a class? Are we using time effectively? What do we need to improve on from that perspective? Um, That was a lot of what I would discuss at the beginning of class. I would also provide a reminder of where we were at at the unit. So, you know, if at the moment you should be on lesson four, we have an assessment in 10 days. Um, This is the progress You know, these are the days I'm staying after school to support kids, you know, all that good stuff. I would say that. Additionally, whenever I had a common revision, I would bring it up. Like if a number of kids were struggling at the same point in a lesson, I would oftentimes say like, real quick, I just want to kind of highlight this one concept that folks are just continuously struggling with. So I would do all those things. Now, in addition to that, I oftentimes wanted to build up to students being able to actually be self-starters. So I would tell kids, like, next class, I'm not going to say anything for the first five to ten minutes. And I want to see kids able to get organized, figure out what the next step is, get their materials out and start working. And then I'd bring the class together. And I would evaluate every time I did that, like, kids' ability to do that. And sometimes I would set a timer and say, like, look, it took you all 15 minutes today to, like, get going. And that's problematic because the class is only 60 minutes long and you've just lost 25% over the time to really reinforce the fact that like kids should be investing in their ability to be self-directed learners, care about it and want to get better at it. So I often use the opening class discussions to speak more to that, those 21st century skills and how we're building towards them and how the model challenges the kids to really think about that on the front end. It invests deeply in their own ability to be in the driver's seat of the learning experience. And that was one of my favorite elements of the model were those discussions. I mean, sometimes I got in debates with kids about, you know, kids would say, well, how come, you know, you don't do this? How come you don't tell us to do this? And I would tell them, you know, you're going to college at some point, we're going to go into a workplace and no one's going to tell you exactly what to do every single time you walk into a classroom. You've got to be able to take control of your own learning and really trying to reinforce to the students, the importance of that side of the experience I found to be profoundly impactful.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of the sort of two minute announcement session. And sometimes for me, I don't I wouldn't say I get into debates with my students because I'm not talking about like college yet with them. They're in middle school. And so they'll actually start asking me questions about the content like those two minute sessions. Sometimes they get stretched out to like 15 minutes, but it's an actual like authentic discussion about the content with the whole group, which is something that I. Like, it's a it's amazing when that happens, but it's authentic because the kids just ask. Like, they just start tossing questions at you about the lessons, and they'll be like, well, but I don't understand this about lesson three, and I can't do lesson four if I don't get this about lesson three, and then other kids will also ask that, and then it's just like this really interesting time where it's the sort of weird abstraction that happens where like if you're standing there telling the kids the music concepts or teaching math to the kids, I feel like it's easier for them to tune out and be like, I don't care about math. I don't care about music. But if you're standing there saying, these are the tools you need to access this class today, it feels more authentic because it's like that's what they know they need to do. Whether or not they care about the content, it's like you're helping them with something that's very tangible. And so that time is very authentic and the kids really, they do participate. So yeah, big, big fan of the pre-class announcements absolutely um this last question
1: is an interesting one and i'm very curious to hear what you say zach which is for a formal observation how do you ensure your evaluator sees all of the components of the modern classrooms model this sounds like a silly question but i'd like to hear from any teachers and especially administrators on what this looks like for evaluation especially when school is it largely using a traditional model Zach, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you've prepared your sort of evaluator or observer, and then I can share my insights as well.
0: Yeah, so this question is very similar to me to the question that we got from the principal who asked about the look-fors in a modern classroom. I am lucky in that my evaluator, my coach, is very much on board uh, with the modern classroom's model. He actually, he's been a teacher for like 25 years, and he actually used something really similar. I saw what it, it was essentially his pacing tracker. He showed it to me, and so he's very much on board, and we talk about the model in a very, you know, abstract and sort of pedagogical way. It's very fun having conversations with him. Um, So that's me being lucky. I think that communicating the components of the model to the evaluator before they evaluate you is important. But I will echo what you said, Kareem, when we answered that last question, which is that you want to make sure that they talk to the students because, you know, they may or may not be on board with the model if the school is largely traditional classroom model right and so i really feel like evaluators can be impressed by the engagement that comes through in conversations with students in a modern classroom if that makes sense like you can talk to a kid and they can just very eloquently articulate what's going on all around them and what they're learning and what's you know what they're doing in the class and that shows that your modern classroom is effective whether or not you're doing anything that the evaluator is looking for right and it goes back to what you were saying about you know don't necessarily assume that the teacher or the students are doing anything wrong now you're the teacher in this case and you want to communicate that to the evaluator beforehand and make sure they have a sense of what they're walking into before they do otherwise if they're looking for silent compliance or a lecture they're obviously not going to find that and you don't want to have a bad evaluation because they're looking for the wrong thing. So I really think communication with the evaluator beforehand is is key.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of the—like, we could probably talk for five hours about evaluations and um, just the challenges with them and and, frankly, how different teachers' experiences are with them. You know, I know a lot of educators whose evaluation structure— doesn't seem too bad and they kind of like it and there's nice collaboration with themselves and their leader and it sounds like you have a little bit of that yeah,
0: I, I should say that that's me i i have a pretty rosy outlook on this because i have i'm lucky my coach is really great and he's into the idea of modern classrooms and there's lots of modern classroom teachers at my school so yeah if my if my answer is too optimistic
1: yeah i mean you know and i think there's a lot of cases of that by the way um but then there's a lot of cases that are a little bit more tense my my biggest piece of advice is just don't leave that much left for uncertainty or lack of clarity. So before the evaluation happens, I mean, just be very clear with whoever's observing your classroom and your leadership, like this is how my class runs. And invite them to come in before any evaluation. Ideally, there's a model for that already, sort of these informal evaluations. Really make sure that you on the front end are indicating to the folks that are watching the classroom, all the core elements of it, The, you know, elements that are new, the elements are unique, how kids are interacting with you, how kids are interacting with the content. I think it's really powerful to also send prior to the actual evaluation access to your learning management system and encourage the evaluator to actually watch your instructional videos just to understand the flow of the classroom. In my class, I actually had a visitor handout. And that basically was like a one to two page document that explained to anyone who popped into my classroom how the classroom worked. I thought that was super useful because I just never had to worry about it. If a visitor was coming, if someone from a central office was coming, instead of having to sort of clarify every single time, I would just say, hey, you know, you can pick up that handout right there and it's going to provide you with a brief explanation of how this classroom will run. And I think that's actually linked in our free course, um, as well as our virtual mentorship program. So folks can see that. So, um, you know, my biggest piece of advice is just make sure that whoever's watching the class just understands how you teach. And that should be a standard expectation anyways for any observation. And if it's not, um, I would get ahead of it and just say, hey, you know, before you pop in, can I just give you a little bit of an explanation? And I oftentimes would send my own debrief, which maybe is a weird thing i did but if someone watched my class i would send an email afterwards and just say hey just an fyi like here's what kids were working on today if you're curious what lesson two three and fours instructional videos were here's the access points just so folks could really get a feel for the preparation i put in to cultivating the learning experience so they didn't make the assumption somehow that like kids were just driving their own learning and i wasn't deeply involved Um, And that's the biggest piece of advice I would say is just make sure that you're providing all the front end information. Don't assume that the person who's observing you actually knows all the hard planning and work that you've put in on the front end to make this well-oiled machine operate so smoothly and get ahead of that. Provide them with that stuff on the front end. Um, And then I've always experienced that folks really find the experience fascinating and super cool and will ask a lot of questions and ultimately will be just impressed by the dynamics in the classroom. Um, And that's my experience for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say one other thing that I um, specifically would point out is that if there's a rubric that the evaluator is sharing with you to read it first and contextualize everything on the rubric in terms of your modern classroom so that you can talk about it. Um, If there's something on the rubric that's like the teacher lectures, you know, like how good are you at lecturing and how good are you at managing behavior? Maybe talk to the evaluator first and be like, you know, this is not necessarily something you're going to see, but I am replacing those lectures with videos. And here's why. Um, So that you can make sure that everything that's on that rubric, if there is one, uh, you know, is contextualized in terms of what you're doing.
1: Totally agree. Well, Zach, as usual, I love these Q&A episodes. They go by so quickly because we get to bounce around from topic to topic. This one was an interesting one. It was a lot of sort of evaluation observation style questions yeah um,
0: put me outside my comfort zone i am not an evaluator i'm a teacher
1: i know but um you know folks want to hear the perspective of the educators certainly uh, most of yeah. these questions are coming from educators so yeah super cool questions um as usual wonderful chatting with you zach and uh, we'll be back at it next week
0: all right have a great week everyone thank you so much for listening And we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.